Welcome to the Next Tuesday Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Susie. I'm Caroline. And we're making women great again, even though we were already pretty great. We share authentic business stories, one woman at a time. We're a little Wall Street and a little woo-woo. We'll see you next and every Tuesday. Hello. Hello, everyone. Our little spiel in the beginning of the podcast this week, we're going to talk about something that's not super sexy, but very important. Yeah, it's called maintenance. Maintenance in your business, guys. It's a thing. When we're out of that super fun, sexy startup growth, everybody's excited, everybody's pumped up for us and promoting you because they are your friend and they support you and they love what you're doing. And now we're maybe a year, two years, three years in, and we are like just kind of chugging along. That's what we're going to talk about. What does yeah. it feel like? How do you go there? Well, what is the grind like? Let me tell you. <laughs> Once upon a time. No, you know, I think I've been thinking a lot about this recently from like an ego perspective. I'm going to yeah. go there. Let's go there. Because I think sometimes like when we identify with what is sexy or what we want to do or what feels good, we're all for it. And it, yeah. we are excited and we are happy to do the things we need to do. But then when all of a sudden things are just cruising and you're not getting attention anymore or like all of a sudden the day-to-day things just become rote and boring and and your personal identification to those things is more like, ooh, I don't want to do that or, oh, that doesn't feel exciting to me. And I would way rather, especially with your own business, spend my time doing X, Y, and Z that is way more fun and exciting. There's this conversation happening in your brain that you really have to look at and disidentify from to say, it doesn't matter what I feel about this, I have to continue moving forward, which takes a lot of practice. Practice and then like inner discipline. So much discipline. And I think there's a lot of talk and like a lot of, a lot of like the rah-rah stuff about like, you can do it, you're your business, like take time. If if you don't feel like doing it, do it later, like blah, blah. But like sometimes you can't do that. And I struggle sometimes, especially being all spiritual and like, actually I was reading something the other day too that was like discipline is an art of spirituality or an art of inner practice because the more that you're building into a routine, setting things up so that you do move forward, you become more productive and it becomes like you're in the moment that you're in and and you are starting to rein in that laser focus of what Mm -hmm. you're working toward and sometimes we've talked before on the podcast about structuring time to allow for creativity you're creative in the time that you've structured because that's the time that your brain is like this is when I think maybe that just made no sense at all that made a lot of sense to me um but I also feel like for me I just struggle because sometimes I am wanting to be more flexible with myself and I think that's one of the reasons I like doing things for myself but also I realize like when I am flexible, sometimes I totally lack the discipline to like get back to yes. the things I need to do yeah. when I don't create the routine or the schedule. That's that's deep, first of all. Second of all, I completely identify with that because like I'm very I'm a sprinter, but that also means I need recovery time. But then that also means I have to come out of the recovery time. So, like, I will go three or four days barely sleeping, just doing everything on adrenaline, and then I'll crash, as as one does, like, as you have to, and, like, to recover. But, oh, my God, to get started again takes a lot. 
Yeah. So it's almost like sometimes I wish I wasn't a sprinter. I mean, it's really helpful in what I do, but at the same time, like as a lawyer, it's helpful, but as a business owner, it is exhausting. exhausting because as a business owner, you need to be marathoning. You need to be slowly doing things systematically, being disciplined, taking care of business, literally. Mm -hmm. And that's hard. And it's hard to try and execute both of those. And then when you add people into the equation, oh, yeah. and, and then there's clients, clients. <laughs> and like new projects or like new endeavors on top of the things that are running, like it is a question of like prioritizing as well. Right. And then knowing what's important and making like the list to say like this has to get done, this has to get done. And also knowing your boundary and yeah. like when you can invite new things in, even if it feels like way more fun than what you're currently doing. Which I am not good at because I see projects and I'm like, I want to do that. Yeah. And just knowing your timing. Yeah. And even knowing the client's timing, like yeah. addressing if, if it is the right time or even a partner, like if that's when you want to start yeah. something. Um, yeah. I, I find that the maintenance of business isn't very exciting or no. very fun. No, it's not, but it is one of those things that we just have to be like, okay, this is part of it. Yeah. Like, this is why I get to be flexible sometimes. Right. You know, and think about that. And so I'm still figuring that out. I've like started to coin phases of my business in my head and where we have like sustained chaos because it's always going to be chaotic, chaotic. Then we have triage mode when like everything is hitting the fan and I've got like multiple clients in kind of crisis that have either come to me and we're pre-litigation or litigation and we're just kind of trying to like get them through that and then I haven't quite figured out what the other phase is going to be because there's got to be another phase well let me tell you for the podcast it's just get it done for Rob Liss Collective it's called phase confusion phase clients happening yeah. phase ooh feel like writing today yeah. And then phase, oh shit, my life is like moving in five different million directions and I have no fucking clue what I'm doing. So yeah. guys, I'm going to keep you posted on all of my maintenance because yeah. sometimes I feel like I haven't even really started. Yep. Right. Right, bud. That's just Jack. Jack is all over. Jack's all over. I smell like four different dogs right now too. So, okay. Well, enough about us. We are here. We're going to introduce who you probably came to listen to. And that is my favorite person's name in the world, which is Candy Beers Kim. Uh, Candy Beers. Candy Beers. The two best things in the world. And also for one of the nicest, sweetest, but like really real people. Candy works with children and families. And she really helps kind of work on the relationship between the parent and the child to a place where they can communicate effectively She's also a dance therapist, which I think is really cool. She did that when she was in New York. And in Virginia, we don't have like the dance therapy uh, like certification, I guess, uh, as a like a clinical practice. But she's implemented it into her business and the way she works with children and families and that movement therapy in a way that I think is really cool. And I saw her do this with some kids at a um, in a lower income area at an after-school program, and it was just really neat. And we took part in it as well. But Candy's a very, very special person who kind of just, like, rejects a lot of those clinical... She approaches her clients clinically, but rejects a lot of those really rigid clinical structures, which I really like. So without further ado, we're going to take you to the candy shop. This season of Next 
Tuesday podcast is brought to you by our lovely sponsors, one of which is Ride and Revel. Ride and Revel is a designer of paper goods, wedding stationery, brands, creative, custom merriment for all of life's celebrations. You can find her online at www.rideandrevel.com or riot.and.revel on Instagram. Heather basically gave us the glow up we needed to go from trailer park to, I don't know, you know, the Chrysler building. So if you are wondering why we started looking so good all of a sudden, it's because of Heather. And our second sponsor of the spring series is Vanessa Selick of Storybook Imaging and Intimate Chapters. She's a lifestyle and boudoir photographer who captured our quirkiness, weirdness, and downright authentic selves. You can find her at www.storybkimaging.com or www.intimatechapters.com if you're looking for her on Instagram, you can find her at Intimate Chapters or Storybook, B-O-O-K, Imaging. Thanks so much, you guys. We are so appreciative for our sponsors. Take a check, and I'll see you next Tuesday, too. Women supporting more women. Hello, and welcome to the next Tuesday podcast. Oh, hey, y'all. We're here today. We are, we have shown up today. <laughs> We are joined by the absolutely wonderful Candy Beers Kim. She is the owner of Attuned Parenting, under which, well, actually, why don't you explain what it is you exactly do? Because I'm probably not the best person to explain it. I work with young parents and help them navigate those early weeks and months and years because parents are inundated with all kinds of information about how they should raise baby. And so I help bring the focus back to the relationship between parent and child. Because most parenting questions are going to be found within that relationship and not outside of it. So what does that mean outside of it? Like reading a book by Dr. Sears. or (laughs) Straight up called out. I did. Um, Or any other male pediatrician who wants to write a book (laughs) on breastfeeding and parenting. Um, Oh my God, I love that. Okay, yes, taking no prisoners here. So why are these things, why do do we need somebody like you to help us? Which I probably, as a overanalyzer, I could probably answer that question myself, but why? Well, because we do overanalyze. So um, my background's in dance movement psychotherapy. Okay, explain that. Yes. Um, (laughs) So in graduate school, and by the way, I just got accepted to my doctorate program. Which is crazy, so you're going to be... Dr. Beers. Kim. Next time you introduce me, I'll be Dr. Beers Kim. Although I never actually, I'm Beers Kim on Facebook, but not legally. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, I'm just like, I don't know. I had a moment when I was pregnant that I was like, oh, I should have the same last name as my child. And I changed it on Facebook, and then it ended up being like, people started calling me that professionally. But yeah, legally, I'm just Candy Beers. Well, Candy so Beers is it's a the best. Cool name. It's the freaking yeah. best name. Whenever I introduce mm-hmm. you, I'm like, her name's Candy Beers. It's the best name ever. Mm-hmm. It's two it things is. that people love. The only thing better would be like Candy Wine. <laughs> That's true. But I mean, or Candy Cane. Okay, Candy Cane would be great. But yeah, I like it. Anyway, well, sorry. So back to dancing. What does that, how does that work so, into this? Yes, I grew up as a dancer. I did my undergrad in psychology and then I was looking for PhD programs back when I was 22 and I found dance movement therapy and I was like, what? I had no idea this existed. So 
without thinking much more about it, I just applied to graduate school to study this thing I didn't know about because mm-hmm. that's how I roll. And yep. um, I think that's how we all roll. Like, yeah. we just are told we need to go to school, and we're like, yeah, I don't know, whatever sounds cool. Yeah. So I just went to New York City and went to graduate school for dance movement therapy, which is basically the um, study of how our bodies encode our memories and how they recall them and and how we express ourselves through our bodies. That's not a good description. What my focus was studying the nonverbal communication between parent and child that's and cool. how we encode early experiences through our bodies. So that's, I think, becoming more and more studied now as we look at things like, I mean, like <clears throat> negative feedback loops and, and things where your body gets in these cycles and it is so used to being in those cycles it can't let go. And so mm-hmm. then that expresses itself in things like pain or like pain that leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to the dark side. Like, I mean, and then we end up in freaking Star Wars. So that I feel has really set you up to get into these situations with parents where you're like, Hey, let's avoid a Darth Vader scenario and let's kind of address the stress and the issues that you are, you know, you might be putting out into the universe with your kids that you don't, you're not even really aware of. Because there's a lot of crazy information and stuff. So how does that, how did that kind of lead you into this new aspect of your life? So I did what most dance therapists do after getting my master's and worked in acute psych. And that was fun. But I found that like... What is acute psych for people that don't know? Yeah, so I worked in um, a hospital on the psych ward. And I just didn't like the medical model I like little kids would act out and instead of someone being there to support them they would do what's called code strong so like everyone would run and pin down the child and like give them a PRN which is um, an as-needed medication um, to calm their bodies down so I I just found that um, I would always go back to why I went to graduate school which was to help people find their authentic voice and and everything about parenting and the parent-child interaction I do because I want parents to know how to set up an environment to help a child just to be able to navigate who they are authentically. Like we tend to want to mold our children into these little like shapes that will just fit in like little square shapes. Um, and so I tend to see the world as a big puzzle and if we were all allowed to be the puzzle shape that we authentically are, we would fit together beautifully. But instead, we kind of like mold children into these little squares. Mm-hmm. And when we're all squares, like there's this stack and you're either at the top or the bottom because you don't fit into like... I love that analogy. Oh, the, so, oh my gosh. So like little kids that I worked with, just I worked with children on the autism spectrum and sometimes they have like beautifully wild behaviors that like most people just want to extinguish and mm-hmm. stop. Where as a as a dance therapist, I would actually join in on these like wild behaviors and become curious about them. Like what is this communicating? Because all movement is communication, all behavior is communication. So um, instead of saying, "Hey, you should fit into my world," because what you're doing makes me horribly uncomfortable, Um, right? And so instead, I would be like, I'm going to join you and do all of these things because I want to know what it feels like in my own body 
to like, how do you experience your world or the world through your body? Um, so I would try on their movements and slowly introduce um, other ways of interacting with the world to help them be able to cope with the environment around them. And so can you share some of those examples? Like what kinds of things or movements would you mirror or mimic or join in with? Yeah, so I had, um, I had a little boy who has such a beautiful story, and I, I just love him. Um, his parents wanted me to teach him yoga, so I am my children's yoga teacher too. And he is adopted by this amazingly wonderful family, and that they were the parents who asked me to teach him yoga. But he has a history of sexual abuse, so I was like, I'm not going to teach him yoga. It's just not where we're going to go yet. I'm not going to tell him different ways he should shape his body. I didn't think that was conducive to a history of sexual abuse. So, But when he came in, like all of his little life, he had to like, all of his movement was accelerated and strong and just to keep him safe. And he would run all around. So instead of like saying, oh, come in and I'll teach you yoga, yeah. and we'll be calm and we'll breathe together, um, I, when he would run, I would run. When he would punch, I provided him things to punch and kick. And then slowly over time, he needed to do that less. And as I joined him, I would start to introduce lighter, slower movement. Um, and it became this dance between the two of us. And um, now he's like rocking at his elementary school, almost in middle school. And But it took like, and his parents were amazing. It's not like I did all of this stuff. But what it took for him was someone to see him so we all have this like innate need to be seen and heard and held like held in someone's mind um for who we are and so dance movement therapy provides that for kids and i basically what i'm doing through my work is teaching parents to see their kids through the dance through the lens of dance movement therapy like instead of looking at their behaviors like well that's annoying i want them to just stop that um i want to invite them to say I'm curious about what this is communicating to me and how I am contributing to this behavior. Not that it's always like parents' fault, but we are always in a dance, like a little duet with our kids. And so it takes a lot of self-awareness from parent to also understand and compassion, self-awareness and compassion to understand what we're projecting onto our kids yeah. or like why they're doing these certain behaviors only with us. Yeah. And maybe not with their nanny or... Why are some of the reasons that they do things with their nanny or don't do things with their nanny and act out with their parents? One is they have secure attachment with their parents. So the person you have the most secure attachment with, whether it's your partner, your parent, like you allow that person to see all of your your light and your dark sides um, because you know they'll conditionally love you. So that's like the sweet reason why like act so differently in front of their parents. And the other thing is, um, there's just so much dynamic between a parent and a child. I was a preschool teacher and I could I could make any of those kids do anything. <laughs> like I just knew exactly what to do and, but I didn't have the emotional dynamic that a parent and child has. So it's easy for someone on the outside to be like, well, just do all of these things. Cause that works, that works for me as a teacher. Or that works for me as the therapist, or that works for me as the nanny. But it's the parent-child dynamic is completely different. 
that's something that I wanted to kind of touch on because I remember at one point you said like, I knew so much more and then I had a child and now I'm just like, oh, what was I thinking? So how has that changed the way you interact with your clients and with, I mean, I don't know if the client is the child or the parent or both, like how does that change that? Well, and also before that too, how, how did you choose parent-child specializations like so early on in your adult life without children? Yeah, um, so my parents were very strict. So they were the type of parents who like, you tie your shoe this way because that's how you tie your shoe. Or we can't do, uh, why can't I do that, mom? Because I said so. So I decided that I would let kids do whatever they wanted. Like I didn't want to <laughs> ever like squash their spirit or like I just didn't feel very seen as as a child. My mom was very religious. My dad's very conservative. Like. I took myself to New York City for the first time when I went to graduate school at 22. Like, Okay, wait a minute. So you just picked up and went to New York because you wanted – like you were just like, I'm going to graduate school in New York? Yeah, I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania. Um, I graduated with like 70 other students, and everyone knew what each other's dads did, and it was a very small town. And, um, and then Penn State, where I did my undergrad, wasn't much different because – it was just an hour from my parents. So after that, I was like, I just want to go somewhere and like be a dancer and be around artists and do like, and just connect more to who I am authentically. So I know that we asked like 10 other questions before this, but I feel like <laughs> it's really important to kind of touch on this spot too, because we're like going through this entire process. And I think this is important. So, like, what was that like leaving and just kind of being like, I'm doing this for myself now and I'm going to go from kind of having everything prescribed for me and now peace out, go to New York? Um, well, it was, like I said before, it was the one thing in life that I felt like I didn't overthink. I just felt like I just You're went. I just, yeah, I was just like, I didn't even apply to any other schools. I just applied to Pratt and knew I would get accepted, and, and I just, and I just did it. And That's also a great school. Like, it's not an easy school to get into. Yeah. I got accepted on the spot. Oh, my God. I'm fabulous. <laughs> yes, you are. She is fabulous. Um, I, I love that, too. You are fabulous. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, I don't know if I have a good word for it, but it was just, it felt right it felt like it didn't it didn't feel much like of anything because it just felt like that's what I was supposed to be doing it made sense and so then how do we get from there to children so uh, during my interview for graduate school that I got accepted on the spot she was like well why do you want to come and I worked as a preschool teacher and I just I, I just didn't think that people really understood kids because most of the communication kids offer is nonverbal and we're a society that very much speaks like we're just cut off little heads like floating around attached from our bodies so I just became very curious about okay why why don't parents and teachers know that much about kids like why are we so why have we forgotten so much and I wanted to study like motor development and those early experiences in childhood and so that's how I got there. And then I think you ask a question about maybe why. I don't know. Oh, uh, we asked a lot of questions. Yeah. 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 So many okay. questions. Yeah. So, 
how now having kids oh, yeah. has changed oh, right. the work that you do. Yeah. So I never, I used to get so annoyed when I was a therapist and a teacher when people would say, but Candy, do you have children of your own? And I would be like, do you, like, why are you even asking me this question? It's so intrusive. Like, and they were asking me when I was like 33 and not married and like, like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) why are you, like, why are you asking me this? Like, maybe I want to have kids and I can't. Like, you shouldn't ask a woman why don't you have children? Or do you have children? Or do you yeah. plan to have children? Like It's like it's, that is like whether or not you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So because of that experience, I never thought I would be a mom who was like, oh, you're cute. Like, you, know, <laughs> you have no idea what you're talking about. Like, but all my mom friends do. Like, yeah. I never thought I'd be part of the group that was like, until you have kids, you know nothing about parenting. Like, get over yourself. But... Now I am. Card-carrying member. Yeah, now I am. Like, yeah, I need to, like, I am that bitch that, like, I used to think, like, I just wanted to slap them in the face and be like, I know all the things about kids. I've read the books. I know. Like, I am your kid's therapist. Like, I know. Um, I... Um, I was a preschool teacher. Like, clearly I know all the things. Um, I'm with your kid all day. I know more about your kid than you do. Right. Yeah. And now I am just... I'm much, oh, and then at the grocery store or something, if I saw a parent, like, misbehaving with their child and being mean or being short or getting frustrated, I was like, man, get it together. Like, do you know, do you know what you're doing to your child? And now I'm like, oh, mom, you've had a rough day, haven't you? Like, I want to buy her a bottle of wine instead of, like. I almost tagged, it was, like, you and Sarah Choi, and I don't know why, it was, like, a couple of, like, the moms in Richmond that I know, and it was this, uh. There was like a an article about this baby that had a meltdown in an airport, and all of a sudden, like all these oh, moms yeah, came out like... of the woodwork and like were hugging the mom, and like yeah. someone gave the baby a snack, or like this, yeah. like the moms like huddled over in the corner, and like they all just like took care of her, took a minute, and then all went their separate ways. Like yeah. no one knew each other, and I was like, this is beautiful. I just love this, yeah. and I just think that's so magical. It is. So I, I um. I'm embarrassed of my younger self. Like, I judge her for thinking I knew anything. Like, I had these little parenting groups where I would be like, oh, these are all the things. But now, as a parent, I'm, I'm like, I get how extremely hard it is and how frustrating it is when someone else can say the exact same thing to your child and it doesn't work when you say it. So, like, all of those things that I thought were, like, the magical, like, just do A, B, or C. Just talk to them this way. Like, just do this like it has to match your child's temperament it has to match your child's development and those things I knew and I also knew like and intellectually that like it would be different with my own child like people used to say you're gonna be the best parent I'm like like I get nine hours of sleep right now like Mm -hmm. I don't have like the emotional ties to these kids like who knows what type of parent I'm going to be Mm. with my own but there's just such a rich dynamic between parent and child that it's like you really have to look at that relationship. And so that's what I do. That's what I know to do now. It's not a prescription of like, just talk to them this way. Just use this type of discipline. Just yeah. follow attachment parenting or right parenting or positive discipline. It's what is going on within the dynamic. And that's where dance movement therapy comes into because so much of the dynamic is nonverbal. So 
can you can you explain what attachment parenting and rye parenting are? Because I don't know. So there are different parenting philosophies or parenting ideologies where like attachment parenting will say to do like certain things and when you follow those rules you you win an attachment parents yeah and, um, I win I get a sticker right so um, attachment parenting has like a lot of really lovely things about it but it in the meat and social media it tends to be focused on like extended breastfeeding and baby wearing and bed sharing but there's like eight different roles to follow for attachment parenting that aren't focused on on that and it's created by Dr. Sears. Rye parenting, I honestly I haven't studied it. I don't know a ton about it. I just hear like little snippets of where it's more it's respecting your child as a, as an individual, mm-hmm. um not being so intrusive when like they're having big feelings to like most times like it's our discomfort with the feeling that we want to like like fix it for them. Yeah. Like that philosophy is more it's their feeling. Like give them the environment and the tools to like help them navigate it, but it's not our job to just like fix it, take right. it away. Cuz usually that's more of our discomfort and I had a therapist once that was more dis- more uncomfortable with my feelings than I was too. <laughs> just wanted me to repeat like all is well. I'm like lady it's I not. am here because not everything is not well. Like, <laughs> like shut up. Um, All is not and, well. And I was a therapist at the time, so I was like, usually I don't analyze what you're doing, but you, like, I can tell what you're trying to do, and it's not working. Like, I can see that you don't want to hold the container for my anxiety and my sadness. <laughs> you just want me to repeat all is well. That's. Oh. And so, but parents do that to kids all the time. Like we expect them to have more emotional intelligence than we do. Like, so what's something that you can? So, like, give us an example scenario of like what you would help a client work through. Like, I don't know, like a meltdown or a, I don't know. I don't have a kid. I can't even like form these yeah, sentences correctly. So, so, um, so I just trained for well, not just. I trained for two years with. Dr. Angelique Millette to become a sleep consultant. So most of my phone, like most of my clients have sleep issues. So, so their that's, babies have sleep issues? Their babies their have, are... yeah, their babies are toddlers. I sometimes have sleep issues. Sleep issues. Me too. No. <laughs> I know, they need to And have, I get mean. <laughs> they need to have adult sleep consultants. But for you, they would just send you to VCU to like the sleep study lab yeah. and see what's going on with your circadian rhythm. Give us Or drugs. work on like sleep hygiene. Like, are you staring at your screen before bedtime? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Drinking coffee at, like, 5 in the afternoon. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, for ba- for So I get calls about, my 18-month-old isn't sleeping through the night. And I've tried everything. And we did this and we did that. And I just feel really hopeless. And a lot of the times it stems back to parental self-doubt and shame. Because we're inundated with all this information about how we're supposed to do it. And we're like, I tried this. And it just, so like my first step is to help a parent find their own, like, what do you value as a parent? How do you want this to look? And because I have this really, like, I'm very interested lately in how women develop maternal identity. Like, use, like, my name is Candy and I'm Evelyn's mom and this is how I'm going to do it and feel really strong in that rather than like, well, my friend says this worked and 
Dr. Sears says I should do this, and my pediatrician says I should do this, and, like, my best friend does this, and, like, no, like, what do you want to do? Like, how do you want this to look? And and with sleep, especially, there are lots of opinions. Like, there's Dr. Weissbluth on one side who's like, if you don't sleep train your child, they will end up being addicted to sleep pills when they're older because you didn't teach them how. And then like... Good grief! I know. And then Dr. Sears, who's like, but if you sleep train your child, you're going to ruin their attachment and they will like feel abandoned and insecure. And so like parents are like, I really like swearing, but I feel like I can't since I'm talking about parenting. Oh, uh, you can. You can. Um, so they're like, what do I do? So we have to bring it back to like, well, what feels right to you? Because... One of the main things that causes sleep issues is the parent having anxiety about sleep. I didn't even know you could have anxiety about sleep until I met you. And I was just like, wait, what? Yeah. It's like there's so much anxiety about how you're supposed to parent a child around sleep. Like, do we bed share because that's what Dr. Sears says will help with attachment? Or do we sleep train because that's what, like, baby-wise and all of these other people are saying, like, I'm supposed to do. And which way is the good mom? And neither, neither of those things. So it's somewhere in the middle that like is probably that mom's authentic way of doing things. So instead of giving them like a formula of like, you have to do this and have to follow my like advice exactly. It's more about bringing like some kind of groundedness to the mom, mostly the mom. Um, Sometimes it's dad. Um, And whatever I tell them to do needs to fit in with what they value or their child is going to pick up on their, on the parent's anxiety. Like I may say, use this method, but if it doesn't feel right to the mom, the baby's going to be like, mom's not feeling it. So I don't think I'm going to trust it. And then the mom will be like, why isn't this working? This is what Ferber says to do. I'm doing all the things. But if she's going in the room with a lot of anxiety and fear, baby's going to pick up on that. So a lot of it is, is self-care and the reason I got into kids and in general is because I my main goal for everyone is to come back to that authentic self the authentic person and I feel like if we start in childhood it'll be a lot easier for those kids once they get their own therapist (laughs) a little less work to do yeah when they are in their 20s and 30s and it's and it's therapeutic for the parents too to be given permission or being even asked, like, well, how do you want this to look? Like, this is your family, and you get to decide. Um, but a lot of times, there's like the mother-in-law's voice in the head, or I think it's so things. interesting. Um, I do a lot of what you're talking about, but with teens and their parents. And I'm starting to work more with women in pregnancy before they have children, and like thinking about what they want for their child, or thinking yeah. about what they had, and. I think the most startling thing of our awareness and our self-identity of, of what I've seen is like how focused we are on the other instead of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think a child and a parent are the like most extreme like places where you can see like a child and their inherent joy and their inherent worthiness and the parent caring for the child and then the parent so programmed from however they were raised and conditioned to look outside of themselves and not to trust themselves and to have all this anxiety from all of these voices. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really cool that you work with the parent and the child so that the parent learns how to trust themselves with their child. So hopefully the child 
feels what it is to trust oneself in that relationship to hopefully like build into that self-identity of yeah being true to that inner... do you want to write the copy for my website because that was lovely that's exactly yeah, yeah. that's what I aim to do is um bring bring the focus back in on the relationship that and and help the parents trust their innate ability to to parent their child and to model the trust of self and also model that um being authentic is is healthy like yes i'm going to make mistakes a lot of parents want like the secret sauce of like how can i be the perfect parent like what what can i do that my child will behave perfectly and a lot of times that's just like the pressure from society for the parent to have like you must be doing everything right because your child is well behaved like my child is not super well behaved she is oh my god yes she is she's lovely she's amazing um but she doesn't like i want her to know how to negotiate and how to have like self-advocacy skills and and not feel i want her to question authority and I know as an, an adult, as, as an adolescent, she's going to question me, which is okay. Like a lot of times when I work with adolescents, um, or I used to, when I was a clinician, I had to remind their parents, like you want, they're practicing advocating for themselves by questioning you. Like you want them to be able to do that when someone is selling them drugs on the playground. Like, yeah. <laughs> you want them to like, or like if a boy is trying to get your daughter to like, like, you don't want her to just be like, all right, he's the authority. I'm going to go do whatever he says. Like, you want your kids to question. Um, oh, I love that. And so. And so what was it like for you transitioning from the clinical world and being on a hospital floor to starting your own gig? And where did Attuned Parenting kind of begin and start? Yeah, I so I did some my postgraduate work with um, Dr. Susie Tutor, who does this program called Ways of Seeing. Um, and it, it's like the way of seeing your child is to see them through the lens of curiosity, um, observe their movement. Um, she will, and she invites parents to like enter this place of not knowing. Um, so I've adopted that into my practice too. So I'll have parents like draw two circles on, on a piece of paper. And one, like write all of the things, like all of the things you've been told you're supposed to do and all of the stories and narratives you have about your child's behavior and then leave the other one blank. And instead of parenting from the one with all the crap on it, I invite them to parent through the one that's blank. And so that in every moment, there's this curiosity about their child's behavior and a curiosity about their own self with compassion, not like, I know I'm clearly I'm like, the root of all of the problems my child has, but like, you know, like it's always going back to the moment. Um, and sometimes you need the stuff that's in the other lens, but instead of getting in your head about it and thinking about all of those things, it's, it's just clear to parent through that lens of not knowing, but it's hard because as parents, we feel like we have to know. How did we get here? How did we get to a place where parents, like, how do we get to a place where there's all this, shit essentially right it's like shit on the lens like yeah like makes our view very blurry and clouded clouded and gross yeah how do we get here i my theory is is none of us were allowed to be the little puzzle piece that we were born to be so like as parents when they don't feel confident about being their little puzzle shape 
they start to question and self-doubt about how they're supposed to parent this little being because like we're just I don't feel like I feel like our society is more like if you fit into the box awesome so if you fit into like any of these parenting ideologies it's just another little box to fit in it makes Mm. it neat it promises that parenting will be easy and that if you follow all the rules like you will end up with the perfect little square of a child. Yeah. Um, Who will then be a perfect square in right. the pile. Yeah. And if, clearly, if you follow all of the rules that I say, they'll be at the top of the pile. Obviously. They'll be a lawyer. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Please, don't encourage, your, don't encourage your children to practice law. And it also, uh, though, like, facilitates that breakdown at any point to be like, what do I think? And then it's like, oh, no this box doesn't actually, like, I don't fit into the box. I'm outside of the box. And and it's terrifying to be outside of the box when we're always taught to, like, Mm -hmm. there's safety in the box. Yes, that's what he said or she said. (laughs) (laughs) There's safety in my box. (laughs) Um, I was was going there, too. I I saw it, like, flash on your face, and I was like, we're going. One day I was... So I was doing a dance therapy group at Penn State. Um, so I finished my master's, went back to Penn State where I did my undergrad and worked at their counseling and psychological services. And I was doing a group with um, like 10, 10 college students with eating disorders. And I forget, like we were into this like wonderful symbolic dance and um, somebody said that like an eating disorder felt like being in a box. <laughs> and so I wanted them to describe like the box more so it's like, what is the box like? Is the box warm? And then like, we all just like... Lost it. Lost it. Oh my gosh. That was um, probably so good though. Because... It was good. Yeah, it brought like talking about their body. Yeah. Like, And it made it not so serious. Right. Yeah. yeah. It was lovely. It was one of those lovely moments that like in graduate school, if I would have done, I'd be like, shit. But um, again, you thinking that you have to be a certain way. Right. Well, you don't. Like, yeah. And luckily I went to a school that didn't like... I did a lot of meditation in graduate school and like they taught theory and all that too, but they really wanted us to like be able to own our shit. Cause as a therapist, it's really bad to project your shit onto someone else. Oh like my God. the best quality of a therapist is self-awareness. Like I've got some shit, but I know it. Yeah. Most of it. Like none of us know all of it. Cause that's what life is about is trying to like figure it out, figure it out. But like, there are a lot of therapists who project. Transference and countertransference yes. is a thing. Is, 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 a, is very much a thing. Yeah. Um, and so I I don't know. I think you asked me a question that I never answered, but yes. Okay. I was just going to ask how you got from the clinical world to starting mm. your business and mm. what that transition was for you. Yeah. So I quit my full-time job because I don't stay places that I don't like. So Good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I just like, I can't do that. Um, I quit with no idea what I, I had an idea, but I didn't have like a job, another job lined up. And so I first went into fitness because I'm a Pilates instructor and I, also, and you're a babe. <laughs> um, and I taught yoga and children's yoga and, and I taught dance. Cause I was like, well, if I'm really into prevention, I can teach these parents through dance, but Dance in the South is different than what dance was like uh, in New York. So coming yeah. in thinking I could make a difference in dance education about, like, body awareness and, like, 
seeing your child through this cool lens. It was more like fighting against like toddlers and tiaras. Yes. Um, I taught this mommy and me class um, at a studio in Richmond and the studio was amazing, but the parents who came like all had their like little kids and like monograms and like princessy stuff. And I was like, you guys probably aren't my people. <laughs> like, the language that I'm speaking is not going to, like... They're not your flock. Yeah. They're not your flock. Um, so, like, most of the moms would, like, stand in the corner. Well, anyway, it was it was a hot mess. But, um, which fed me more to, like, there's so much work to do. And a lot of therapists end up working with, like, underserved, like, lower socioeconomic families and I never felt drawn to that I always felt drawn to work with like privileged families and that's exactly like the little scenario that I just described is exactly why because there's there's the stress of really fitting into the box mm-hmm. of of getting into private school of being at the top like just They're signing fitting up into like when they get their birth certificate yeah um and so there's there's like that's really the underserved population. I feel like is in mental who, health, yeah, in mental lot. health yeah. for sure, because um, we assume that everything's okay. But like the highest number, like the highest, this is, I think a statistic. Possibly I'm making it up. I heard it somewhere, but like there's a higher number, like eating disorders, anxiety, depression are definitely like. Well, why don't you have eating disorders? And I mean, I, I heard this somewhere. Like, why don't you have eating disorders in like Africa in like the desert? Oh, because like. Well, yeah, they're malnourished. <laughs> well, there's that. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's just different the way we look for control in different ways. Yeah, I, I think also we have all of the resources allegedly, and we're so focused on the outside world and how we fit into it that mm-hmm. we totally lose sight of the spiritualness of our being, or you know, why or what we want to do because we're told to be a certain way. Because there's all of these unspoken or unconscious expectations of ourself or this world that we have the quote-unquote privilege to exist within and then it's just like stress and stories and things that never get looked at but just tear us apart and it's that old not yeah old adage like power over versus power within we're so busy seeking approval and seeking Mm -hmm. power to say like I am in control of everything rather than like learning how to tap into the innate power that we all have, knowing that the more I'm me, the more that is my power to just be comfortable that I'm good. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that goes to back to what you do is helping people trust in themselves and just not lose sight of that inherent worthiness that right. we're in this world and we're who we are and doing something doesn't equate to who we are. Like we're not what we do. Exactly. There's yeah. something beneath that. Right. So, I will fin- I will answer your question. <laughs> I Girl, keep getting there. We keep asking questions. Well, we get no, excited. I, the um going from where I was to where I where I am um in fitness and as a clinician, I never had to like market or network cuz once once I had clients, they just kept coming. Um same with my like as a therapist and as a Pilates instructor. One, because I'm good at what I do. And two, like, that's just the nature of the business. And so now I'm really, like, I love servicing clients. I feel completely, I feel horribly uncomfortable with Instagram 
and any kind of social <laughs> media, and I just feel icky. And I think part of it is because as a psychotherapist, it is unethical to solicit clients. So like anytime I'm like putting my, I'm like, like, like um... I just wanna, I wanna align more with pediatricians and therapists who don't do all of that. But the nature of my work now is I only work with people for so long, and then I need new clients. High turnover rate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I am learning as I go and and becoming more authentic with who I am. Like I'm going back to get my doctorate because I really value the education. Um, and I'm learning like at first when I when I got accepted, I was like, well, how am I going to help families? And then I was like, oh, when I become a professor and do more lecturing, which I love to do, I will be teaching other people how to do it. And I really like... I love to teach. I don't love trying to get clients. Yeah. I love working with clients. And so I just need to allow myself to be authentic and be be honest about like what I feel comfortable doing. And I think in, as a small business earner, like definitely there's this like safety box of like all the things you're supposed to do. And um, so I I want to practice what I'm preaching. Like, be authentic, align like with who you are. And I'm still trying to navigate that as a business owner. It's hard. Like. It's so mm-hmm. hard. I think it's hard to seek out people who are, are like in desperate need of something without mm-hmm. feeling like you're exploiting them. Because I've struggled with that as well. Like how mm-hmm. do I serve clients that really do need my help? Yeah. You know, charge them money for that when to me that feels a little hard. Like I would so much rather be able to just help people. And I think the way that I've been able to work into that space is more, well, it's with the help of a few other lawyers that I've worked with, um, Andrew and Rachel, and, you know, providing services that you know are of good quality and of good, like with their the client's best interest in mind, like it's okay to want to be paid a fair rate to do that. And yeah. so coming to terms with that has been really hard for me mm-hmm. and I mean, I'm I, I'm sure that's kind of like a similar situation because you're like, I want to help people. Blah, blah, blah. And there's the thing of like, now that I am a parent, I know, like I, I've been feeling very uncomfortable with like doing little Instagram things where like, I don't want to tell, I don't ever want to tell someone what to do with their child. Like right. this is how you're supposed to be. So I'm like, so what do I say that people are understanding that like, I want to help. I want to help them find who they are and I want to help them find how they and their child, like they and their child work best as a team, not like do this thing or, um, and so I'm having a hard time putting like tangible things out there when it's more like be authentic and everything will be fine. Like model your authentic self and your child will do the same, like tap into what's going on in there. I'm in that same boat with my business and I think... It, it's so important, like what you were saying, you were like talking about your authentic self and knowing what you're good at and knowing what you're passionate about. And I think too, in small business, we put so much pressure on us to do the thing that we set out to start doing because that's mm-hmm. what we told everyone we're doing. Right. Yeah. So I think mm-hmm. it's really awesome to allow ourselves that permission to grow and to adjust to what truly feels in alignment with the passion we have to share and the audience who we're really great at sharing it with. But also, I think what's really challenging in helping people be more of who they are is society doesn't yet value it. 
Right. And so when you have when you create the language, and I'm going through this massive branding thing now, because similarly, it's like I have all of this like budding information to support people, mm-hmm. and people I think are it's harder for them to accept that there's something to work with within because we want to be okay and we want to have the answers and falling apart or looking at what might not be put in the right place stacked up just one on top and not being the puzzle piece can be really uncomfortable it's scary it's it's vulnerable and so I'm finding that things that sell are like little band-aids to put on things Mm -hmm. like if I had a list of like things that I would tell you what to do and your child would behave in a certain way. Like, I feel like people are still looking for that rather than wanting to look within. So that mm-hmm. makes it challenging. But I know there's a whole market of, of people out there that want exactly, like, I I do believe that a lot more people are wanting to look within and I'm finding I'm finding those people. But if I am out to like, I get frustrated when I'm like, Oof. I don't want to just give the list of things, but mm-hmm. that seems to be what's selling. Because, like, it is. it is. It's harder to, like, figure out what shape you are. Well, it's, it's like, just, like, put what do me they back want in versus that need? Like, mm-hmm. clients, their wants versus their needs. Like, you're the expert and you need to be able to tell them, like, no, you need this, not this. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, that's hard. It's yeah. really hard. But I have faith in you. <laughs> and now, for all those who just listened and are like, well, I'll be your client, where can yeah. they find you? Oh, at my website is um, just my name, candybeers-kim.com. So can you just spell that for people? Yes. C-A-N-D-Y, beers, like the beverage, B-E-E-R-S-K-I-M.com. And the, my, my mentor was like, you should just have your website as your name. That way, anytime that you evolve and do a different business, it's just, it's always you. Like, you are constant in there. Um, but I was like... If I just do candy beers, like, <laughs> if someone Googles candy beers, all these things, who come knows? Up. Who knows what will come who up? Knows so I was like, so I'm just going to throw my husband's name in there and then Boom. like a name. Boom. Yeah. yeah. If you want to find us on the interwebs, where can you find us, Suze? You can always find us at www.nexttuesdaypodcast.com on social media, Next Tues Podcast. If you feel so inspired, you can donate or become a patron at our website or Patreon. Patreon is www.patreon.com slash Podcast. We hope you're inspired. So Good as job, always, White. we'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.